0: Welcome to the Compassionate Educators Show for teachers who desire to change lives without self-sacrifice. Let's dig deep together into the skill set, mindset, and best practices you and your students need to thrive in today's schools. Now your host, Marie Cooney.
1: Hello and welcome. I am so excited today. We have a very, very special guest. Barbara Gruner, who has been a teacher and school counselor for many years and is the author of What's Under Your Cape, Superheroes of the Character Kind, and her work in character development truly makes her a superhero. Barbara, can you share a little bit more with us about your background?
0: Thank you, Marie. It's super exciting to be here. Yes, it started back in 1984, so I am in my 36th year. As a character educator, I started out teaching high school Spanish, and then I moved into high school counseling, and I loved working with the teens. They were my jam, and I never saw another option until I had kids of my own, and then I wanted to be in our local elementary school. So I left secondary after 15 years. I moved into a pre-K through third grade campus, ended up my um, counseling career technically retiring in May of 2018 with grades 3, 4, and 5, but after a year writing the Purposeful People Toolkit for Character Strong with a few other amazing character educators, I am now back in the schools part-time because I can not stand being away from them, so I am SEL support in a K through, pre-K through 5th grade campus. I'm loving being a Whitcomb giraffe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today about empathy. And this is one of the character traits that you really specialize in, correct?
0: I'm, I like to think so. I first heard Michelle Borba speak about it over a decade ago, actually at a conference when I was doing a breakout on empathy, and I said, oh, gosh, I, I need to learn from her. And so I really dug in deeper um, over the years, and 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 I would really stand by saying it's one of the most important things that our kids bring to school with them, hardwired to learn it, and need practice in, especially now with Michelle's work telling us that college kids um, are showing 40% um, lower levels, less, less empathy. Their empathy is down by 40%, and that's startling because how can we move from me to we um, if if they're if it's not fully developed elevated and being stretched nurtured and utilized
1: that is information that I was not aware of that it is down 40 percent in colleges so this really speaks so clearly as to why it's important for our children right now and, In your opinion you said that they're hardwired now do you think that empathy is a learned trait or something that we are born with
0: again i'm going to default to michelle borba who says dormant empathy does no good so essentially yes we are hardwired to be empathic however it's like a muscle empathy is like a muscle and so think about if you don't use your biceps and your triceps you go to take a walk and you haven't been on the trail in a while It's going to be stiff and sore and it's kind of a use it or lose it kind of thing. So we need to be practicing our empathy in order to sharpen that saw and get good at it. Mm.
1: And, you know, let's talk a little bit about empathy and what exactly empathy, what does it look like? What does it sound like?
0: Okay, that's a great question. Renee Brown's work would say it's feeling with someone. Essentially, it's the ability to step into somebody else's shoes. And while we can't fully switch places with somebody, we can absolutely use our cognition of understanding to kind of get what they're going through to make an attempt to step into their story and and let them know that they are not alone sometimes it's just standing next to them walking through their darkness telling them i see you you matter you are not alone teaching kids empathy statements, um, just three words, tell me more, to help increase that cognition and let them know that they don't have to go it alone. You're essentially turning it from me to we. And what we know is that anxiety is up, and when anxiety is up, empathy is down, because anxiety kind of is all about me, and empathy is mostly all about we. And so we start to see the world through somebody else's lens so that we can better accept who they are and walk alongside of them without judgment, which is hear me on this very hard to do by human nature we judge and sometimes those judgments are okay because you need discernment but not judging their story um, more along the lines of maybe judging whether or not their decisions align with your values but ultimately everybody's human dignity and accepting that we're all journeying Um, Through this, um, Ram Dass says it beautifully. We're just here to walk one another home. Like Mm, how you step out of what you're going through to help someone else with what they're going through. I will add, Brene Brown says, it's not about fixing. And sometimes as caregivers, we want to jump in and fix. It's not about fixing so much as it is saying I'm here, I'm willing to co-suffer. There's that compassion that you're so passionate about and ultimately perhaps even turn it into a kindness, which um, you know can just help to comfort somebody. You know, I'm making soup, can I bring you some soup? That soup started with empathy. I saw that there was a need, I embraced that need like my own and I made a double batch of soup to bring it to you and really empathy has now given kindness it's
1: why oh there's so much there that is so powerful and I I have to say though that I feel like I need to make some empathy soup for somebody (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love love that idea empathy soup (laughs) but you know really as I know that we both have the background as school counselors and I know that I've sat in my office before with Many, many students on different occasions where they truly felt alone, and it was so powerful when they realized that they are not alone, that there's someone there with them, and someone who is holding Mm -hmm. their hand, or even when they Begin to think about who is in their life, who has been there for them, who has supported them in the past. And that piece can truly change lives. And with compassionate educators, part of my motto is that teachers, that educators are truly changing lives. And I don't mean this just in a throwaway type of phrase. I truly, truly believe that lives change and are sometimes even saved through empathy and letting these students know that they are not alone, that they don't have to go through it feeling that there's nobody you know, holding their hand. So when we talk about empathy as a life-changing Are there some things that teachers can be aware of, something that they can do to make sure that they are holding their students' hands, that they are showing their students, I am here for you? Because we know that teachers have a lot on their plates already. But because this is so, so important, what little things can they do to make a big impact?
0: Yeah, I love that you say holding their hands, and I actually think of empathy as a three-pronged head, heart, and hands. So teachers always think, oh, I'm gonna get their head, but we have to put kids before content, right? So the first step I I would strongly suggest is emotional regulation. I know when I first started, if a kid was crying, I'd be like, okay, baby, um, here's your pass to the counselor, but hurry back because we're busy conjugating verbs today. And I say that tongue in cheek, but it's really kind of sad because I was not in my head or my heart. I was not there to help them process their feelings. I was there to help them become fluent in Spanish. So You know, the first thing is, oh, help me understand that feeling. Explain that feeling to me when they're reading fiction with the children. How is this character feeling? You know, like stopping the book and saying, ooh, what is going on with this character? What would that experience be like? What would they want? What would they need? Asking how they're feeling, pointing out uh, how they're feeling, and explicitly, as well as implicitly, teaching it by not only modeling but doing activities a really powerful one is called empathy in a shoebox and you just bring different pairs of shoes and you just give a real small snippet of who wore those shoes and then and then you go from there here's a here's a pair of shoes oh look this family is in family promise because they're experiencing homelessness now and oh the little girl wants a puppy Put yourself in their shoes. How might you feel? What might you need? And then that allows them to practice their empathy, to stretch and to grow that muscle. And it is so cute when little kids will be like, well, she can't have a puppy right now because they don't even have a home. And that'll, that'll springboard you into wants versus needs so fast. And all of a sudden, you're helping them self-regulate, which is going to help that me to we transition by leaps and bounds.
1: Mm, what a great activity to use with the children. Empathy in a shoebox. Was that correct?
0: Empathy in a shoebox. If you Google search that, Marie, I've been blogging for a decade, and that is my most popular post by far. And it was written by a school counselor out in Montana. It's I, I like to call her Montana, but she is my <laughs> friend in Montana, um, Tanya Kirschman. And she is just a top-notch school counselor. And one time she reached out and said, hey, I've got this activity that the kids really love. And so there at my blog, if you search it, you can see four different scenarios that she wrote and then a link to another four scenarios. So you don't even have to do too much work. You have just a part of a story, you tape it on the inside of the shoebox, and you can put your kids in stations and they can try to figure out what it would be like to live in those person's shoes for a little while.
1: Oh, that sounds like such a fun and engaging activity for the students And I love that concept. So if you are listening and would like to incorporate empathy in a shoebox in your classroom, we will definitely post a link to that in the show notes on CompassionEducators.com so that you have easy access to Barbara's blog with that activity.
0: Perfect. Thank you.
1: So we've been talking about why empathy is important what we can do and i'm going to kind of flip take the flip side of it so what happens when students are not developing that empathy trait when the empathy is dormant and they're not practicing those skills
0: okay well it's pretty dangerous actually because they tend to without empathy not have that emotional regulation. And oftentimes those kids tend to bully. They will bully because they cannot switch places. So they can't feel what that's going to feel like. We do see in an absence of empathy that bullying is up. Now, somebody with dormant empathy that is active, say you're watching the news, and this might be more for grown-ups, but You'd be surprised at what kids are watching. You're watching the news, but you don't have anywhere to go with that empathy. We also see something called empathic distress. And it's along the lines of the compassion fatigue. It happened to me years ago, and my sister said, turn off the news. And I'd be like, but I can't. I have to know what's going on. And she's like, but it's actually really bad for you because you're taking on the world's problems but there's nowhere to go with it. So you wanna be careful about empathic distress and about the possibility that you might be hurting and either need to receive empathy or you might be unable to step into someone else's shoes and understand how they're feeling when you're not treating them well. So those are two real distinct possibilities in
1: the absence of empathy mm, that's such a good point and I know that schools nationwide are really trying to go from the angle of bullying prevention mm-hmm. yet if we go from it at the angle of increasing empathy yeah. then it's less likely that we need the bullying prevention because again what we focus on is we typically what we see focus. correct
0: Yes, and what we know is that bystanders, once bystanders jump in, bullying stops pretty quickly by and large. You know, nothing is all the time or always, but by and large, when a bully steps in, I'm sorry, when an upstander steps in, bullying will stop. So if our upstanders don't have empathy, why would they jump in? Why would they? But with empathy elevated, They do tend to be more proactive, more active um, upstanders. And when that bystanding um, goes away, again, empathy goes up and it's just a kinder, gentler place to be. Now, I'm going to stand here and say it's not easy. It's hard, but it takes practice. And as we practice, we get better at it. We get stronger at it. Um, The last thing I would kind of really want to throw in there is if we're not feeling healthy ourselves, we're not likely to jump in and help somebody else. So there can be no we if there isn't a strong me. So when we're moving from me to we, we have to make sure that that self-care piece, not only for the caregiver, but also for the kids, really for everybody, that self-care piece, that self-awareness, that self-monitoring is on full blast so that we're not missing opportunities to, to go from me to we and, and help out.
1: Absolutely. And do you have any quick tips or tools or tricks for the educators, for the caregivers to investigate that a little bit more?
0: Well, really, when I ask them to teach their kids, it's really just a model what empathy looks like. Oh, friends, look at this, this must feel a b or c to really get those feelings i I love zones of regulation i love the ruler that's that's out of yale really anything i mean for me i just had my daughter draw the feelings on our ceiling tiles and we switched them out and made feeling tiles anytime you can make the feelings visible to give the kids that language so that they're able to say oh i'm feeling frustrated today or oh i'm feeling." mad today or little tips like, friends, did you know that mad is sad's bodyguard? I heard Jody Carrington say that and I was like, oh my gosh, kids will get that. Oh yeah, you're mad sad. I'm like, excuse me? And all of a sudden we've opened up a conversation about what it feels like to be mad and what might be the underpinning, the emotion beneath the experience Because without emotional regulation, again, we're not going to be able to move it from me to we very easily. So sometimes you have to stop class and say, oh, my gosh, there are some feelings that need to be heard, that need to be processed, that need to be felt. And that's okay to carve out that time. You will get that time back in spades if you allow those conversations about feelings, their own and others occasionally, regularly, habitually.
1: Beautiful. That is such an important concept. And like you said, the teachers will be getting that time back because then there'll be less time spent on other types of behaviors that they're going to have to really squash. And so really building up that self-regulation and the empathy. And speaking of zones of regulation, which you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the next podcast episode is going to be about zones of regulation. So stay tuned for that next week. And Barbara, is there anything else that you feel is really needing to be added to this conversation about empathy. You have given us so much, so many activities and ideas to use as well as making sure that we are taking care of ourselves in this process as well. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to add to that?
0: I just feel like it's important that we remember the head, heart, and hands so you kind of have that triangle. It starts with your head understanding It moves to your heart. It becomes compassion. Um, Daniel Goleman refers to it as affective empathy. And then when you make it kindness, then it moves to your hand, and it's a skill set to help relieve that suffering. So just make sure we're not telling kids, be kind. They're going to be compliant and do it, but it's not sustainable. If we want to make it meaningful, this whole kindness crusade, which I think is Fantastic. It needs to start with empathy. Kindness gives, no, empathy gives kindness its why, and kindness can change the world.
1: Beautiful. Barbara, thank you so very much for your depth and wealth of knowledge and I'm sure that our uh, listeners would love to connect with you more. Where can they go to find out more about your book and your toolkit and blog?
0: My blog is kind of a one-stop shop because there are icons for reaching out to me on Twitter, on Facebook, by email. So it's corneroncharacter.com. And again, I've been blogging for about a decade. I do once or twice a week, just updates, just all things SEL. It's kind of think about it as an SEL smorgasbord. Sometimes it's personal. Most always it's professional. I'll give recommendations for books that you should be reading um, that might enrich or enhance what you're already doing. Um, Links, video clips, my Pinterest page, all sorts of things that I've just vetted to hopefully make... um, character educators' jobs easier. I like to think of myself as a facilitator in Spanish, Facio means to make easy. So I like to be a facilitator of all things character development and SEL. So check it out at the corner on character.
1: Love it. Thank you again, Barbara. And I will actually be seeing Barbara in just a few months at the school counselor conference. I cannot wait for that. So go ahead and check out Corner on Character. So much wonderful information there.
0: And good luck with your podcast, Maria. I'm so proud of you and the hard work that you are doing um, connecting compassionate educators around the world. So keep it up, my friend. Thank you. If you enjoyed
1: this episode of the Compassionate Educators Show, please head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. This will help other educators find the show and join the Compassionate Educators movement. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, let's keep changing lives without self-sacrifice.